0: Hello folks and welcome back. My name is Robert Fleming. I'm sitting here chatting with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are two of the partners at Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. And you're listening to Elder Law Issues, which is our weekly podcast where we talk about issues of, of, of I don't know, elder law, I guess, is uh, probably the theme that holds together all of our podcast episodes. Elizabeth, I wanted to talk today about mental health, not yours, not mine, not even our staff's, but uh, but mental health issues in dealing with our clients and the family members of our clients.
1: Well, Robert, mental health is a topic that sometimes comes up in estate planning consultations. It can come up in cases where we may be administering a trust and are working with a beneficiary who has some mental health struggles. We also see questions come up about mental health in guardianship and conservatorship cases. So I would tell you that when I have somebody bring up the kind of question of, well, what can I do about so-and-so's mental health or my own mental health? I, I start, first of all, by talking to them a little bit about their concerns. So if I'm working with a, a couple, for instance, and we're working on their powers of attorney, we're working on their healthcare power of attorney, one of the sections that we often inc- include in those documents is a mental health section, a section of powers that the principal, the person who's creating the health care power of attorney, can bestow upon the agent, the person who's going to be administering the healthcare power of attorney if the principal is incapacitated. And those mental health powers, Robert, um, you've drafted them and, and I've tinkered with them through the years. They generally allow the agent to work with medical professionals to see if an assessment or an evaluation needs to be made for the principal. And that's a pretty broad stroke there to take at that, but when I talk to people about those in their documents, um, you know, that's kind of the starting place.
0: So, mental health, I mean, a healthcare power of attorney gives the agent the power to make all sorts of healthcare decisions, including uh, medication choices that, that could be treatment for a mental health issue, including therapy for a mental health condition. It's not like there's a, a line at which you, uh, you stop having the power. Uh, well, actually, I guess there is a line, and that is locking somebody up for inpatient mental health treatment. It's also, however, true that mental health treatment organizations think of what they do as a little bit different and, uh, and more uh, invasive, and so they want to have clearer authority. But the question of actually locking up a patient for inpatient treatment, that's something that uh, an agent under a typical healthcare power of attorney probably will not be allowed to do. They probably don't have the power to do that. Though sort of oddly, if they're getting mental health treatment for somebody who is being placed in a non-psychiatric ward, that isn't an issue, at least not for most providers. So, um, so that mental health care power of attorney just gives a little extra ability in the case where it's of considerable concern.
1: And Robert, when we talk about considerable concern, I want people to think pretty broadly because when we talk about admission to a mental health unit Keep in mind that a lot of time that admission is for an evaluation to see if the person actually needs treatment in the first place. And somebody can sign admission paperwork all day long, but unless there are medical professionals that believe somebody may be in need of evaluation, the agent completing admissions paperwork really does nothing. It has to be the the mental health professional, those teams, whether they're in the hospital or whether they may be in a um, private placement, who are really gonna make that medical assessment, not the agent. So when I talk to people about this, a lot of times folks come up with questions about whether or not they should have those in there, if there's been dementia, or other issues with family members, and we talk, talk about those issues on a case-by-case basis. Um, I'm actually somebody, Robert, who I have a mental health care power in my health care power of attorney. I'm comfortable with my, my agents having those um, authorities. I can't, I, will,
0: I can't remember. Am I your agent?
1: <laughs> the bigger question <laughs> is, am I your agent? Uh, so I will take this a step further, Robert, and I think this is one of the focal points of our conversation today. Sometimes people say to me, well, shouldn't I just become so-and-so's guardian with mental health power? Forget the healthcare power of attorney. Shouldn't I just have the court make me her guardian and give me that authority? that's a whole different can of worms.
0: It is, and and Arizona has a separate kind of power that can be given, but isn't automatically given to a guardian. Uh, Our language, of course, is that guardian is the person who makes healthcare and placement decisions for another human being, as distinct from conservator, who makes financial decisions. That's not the same language in every state, so you have to be careful trying to generalize from state to state and Arizona is, um, I don't know that we're unique, but our, the history of our development of the mental health guardianship is a little bit unusual. So uh, a guardian, a general guardian who's appointed according to the usual system, doesn't have the power to do that same thing we were talking about before, placing their ward in a locked psychiatric facility for mental health treatment uh, or evaluation. In, in order to get that power, you have to go through some additional processes and, and prove some additional things. Uh, and, and it's not like um, every guardian ought to ask for mental health powers just in case. You have to show that it's actually necessary at the time when you're getting the guardianship or getting the mental health care powers added onto to the guardianship.
1: And those need to be renewed if you're going to keep them.
0: That's right. They they only are good for one year, so you have to renew them every year. And every renewal requires a. It's a summary hearing, but there has to be a judge looking at the file, and there has to be a psychiatrist report, not a doctor, not a podiatrist, not a chiropractor, but a psychiatrist, uh, re- reporting that the that, that there is some likelihood of. A need for psychiatric placement in the next year in order to renew the mental health powers. So just to give some sense, I'm going to estimate, and Elizabeth, you can disagree with me if you'd like to, uh, again, uh, I'm going to estimate that one in a hundred or maybe less than that of the guardianships we see has mental health powers included.
1: I think that's absolutely right, Robert. And when I talk to people who want to become guardian and want to have this mental health power, I try and talk to them not only about why, what they think this mental health power is going to do or change, but I I talk about whether or not they have realistic expectations about what it means to have that mental health power as a guardian. And um, I'm somebody who, my first choice is always to see if we can get the individual to create a healthcare power of attorney Um, if that healthcare power of attorney should have mental health provisions. I always like to assess whether that's an option before we even start talking about guardianship or guardianship with mental health power. So that's definitely, I think, a um, perspective that I have. And it's about, for me, creating autonomy and independence for the principal, for the person who may um, need medical assistance. I wanna do what I can working with a family to, to maximize somebody's personal autonomy and in those cases where the mental health power may need to be exercised, make sure that's done in collaborations with a good care plan uh, because anybody who has had to have a loved one evaluated in a psychiatric unit or any kind of inpatient unit knows it is incredibly stressful. So what we try and do is, is provide support and ideas about how a care plan can be put together. It's, it's a lot more than just what the documents say
0: and remember as you said um, i want our listeners to remember that the key is to maintain autonomy as much as possible to the extent possible we want these decisions to be made by the individual prospectively perhaps for some future time when they might be unable to make the decisions themselves and that's the real beauty of a mental health care power of attorney but they're the decisions the unique decisions of that individual so for instance i've actually had one client who came to me to sign a mental health care power of attorney to name someone who would be her agent for psychiatric treatment and the mental health care power of attorney instructed that that person was never to admit her to a psychiatric unit so you you can't think oh this is a mental health care power of attorney that means i have all the powers to do everything i need to do that means you have the powers that were given to you by the document. And in that case, those powers were only to resist treatment, not to, uh, not to secure treatment. Uh, I think actually she, that, that client ultimately was committed involuntarily because she had a psychiatric break. And the system will, will step in and, uh, and ignore your wishes if your safety is at, at quest, in question. Uh, but uh, but it is, we start from the individual autonomy of each client doing what they want.
1: That's right, Robert. And, and these are discussions that are quite detailed and fact-specific. And uh, for folks who may be wanting to learn more about mental health powers and whether or not a guardianship with mental health power is appropriate or what the advantages or disadvantages of that would be, we're we're happy to chat with you. And for those of you who are looking over your healthcare powers of attorney and the drafts that we provide, if you have questions about the language that we've drafted and and wanna tinker with it or have things removed, just let us know.
0: That's right. We want to make sure the document reflects your actual wishes. And on that note, I think we can wrap up for today. This is Robert Fleming. I've been talking about mental health with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, my partner. Uh, and uh, and we are part of Fleming and Curdy PLC a Tucson Arizona elder law firm. We do this every week we encourage you to send us questions, things you wish we would talk about or explain and uh, and we encourage you to join us again next week. Thanks.